the Plumlee Pod, episode 40. Prepare to lift the lid on all things education, not indoctrination. Your voice of reason for home education, the Plumlee Pod. Hello and welcome to the Plumley Pod. I'm your host, Sarah Plumley, and today's special guest is Stephen Herbert. Stephen is a husband, a father, and a beekeeper. And today we're going to be finding out about all things bees and honey and lots of other nice things. But before we come to that, I've just had a little pre-podcast history lesson from Stephen regarding St. Valentine's Day. Apparently, this is my St. Valentine's Day special podcast recording, though I didn't know it before I arrived today to do it. Today is the 13th of February. We're recording on a Monday and this will go out on Sunday, Sunday the 19th. However, tomorrow is the celebration of St. Valentine and apparently this also links back to bees, but I'm way out of my depth. So at this point, I shall hand over to Stephen who shall tell us more. Welcome, Stephen. Hello. It's funny, some of the best stuff is told pre-show, but for anyone who's got Clinton cards and wants to send me one, that's fine, because tomorrow is my birthday. I was born on Valentine's Day, so I've, I've taken a particular interest in that particular saint. St. Valentine was, I think it was third century priest who cured the blindness of a judge, the daughter of a Dutch judge, I should say, but he also did other miracles, and I believe Claudius executed him, but just before he executed St. Valentine, or Valentine as it was, he wrote to the daughter of the judge and signed off, yours Valentine, or your Valentine. The feast of that period of time, there was a prior and pagan feast or Roman feast called Lupercalia, which was the festival of fertility. And that's probably where we get the whole idea of love and fertility with St. Valentine's. But he really didn't have anything to do with that. He's the patron saint of Terni, which is a place in Italy. He's the patron saint of epileptics. He's the patron saint of fainters. He's also the patron saint of beekeepers. And today on this podcast is the Valentine's Day special. We're going to be talking about bees. We are indeed. I had no idea about the epileptic. I didn't realise epilepsy was so old. I suffered from epilepsy as a child for about maybe three years but I didn't realise it was an old thing. I thought it might be a relatively new disease. Do you know anything about that? Well, I mean, back in the day, they did kind of get a bit worried about epileptics, thinking they're possessed by some demon. In the Middle Ages, epileptics were sort of suspected of being witches and burnt and got rid of. But, I mean, in earlier times, they were often seen as sort of shamans. So there's been lots of different views on epilepsy throughout the years. My wife is epileptic as well, and she's an artist, so maybe the gods or the other world are trying to communicate through her seizures. I don't know. How interesting. I never knew that. But that was a little detour, wasn't it? Because you're going to take us down the rabbit hole of the bees and the beekeeper. So first of all, how did you become a beekeeper? What made you decide to do that? Well, there's a few threads to this. The first thread is... We all know about 9-11, and I don't really want to go about down that rabbit hole, although it's obvious why Building 7 fell down, isn't it? You know, crikey, someone must have sneezed, because buildings tend to do that. But after 9-11, the evil empire went into Iraq, but there was these scientists, nothing to do with nothing in Iraq, but 
Colin Campbell comes to mind, and he was a petroleum geologist, and he was talking about something called peak oil. And basically, it comes down to this notion that certain resources in the world are finite, crude oil being a good example. So being a finite resource, it tends to have this bell curve in terms of its usage. So if you stick in one oil well, it'll start off, a little bit of oil comes out at the beginning of its lifetime, then it'll peak, maximum peak, and then it'll tail off. Well, what he was saying, well, if you aggregate that, I mean, this this is probably from the work of someone called um, Hubbard, but if you aggregate that, all the oil wells which have ever existed, you get a global peak oil thing, bell curve. And he was sort of saying, well, the thing is, we've passed peak with crude oil and it's going to get harder and harder to replace these hydrocarbons. And the world which has got used to such use of fossil fuels are going to experience limits to growth. And hey, Presto, we had the banking crisis in about 2007, which is probably related to the difficulty or more expense of getting hydrocarbons out. So, so that was one, one thread. The other interest I had was in uh, other authors like James Howard Kunzler, John Michael Greer, D- Dmitry Orloff. But there was lots of strange things going on at the time during the early 2000s, whereby we were seeing lots of social changes in our society. And I kind of felt very concerned about what was happening to my community, to my country. And I was, I was taking sort of a, an active interest in that. So come 2010... I was working for a council and we talk about wokeism today and we talk about the council culture today and and we're very knowledgeable about it. But what about the people sort of in the early days of this? What about the people perhaps who have the wrong thoughts? So anyway, just to, I've given you a little bit of a hint, but my job at the council disappeared. So I was faced with sort of having to <laughs> navigate into a new career of some description and to kind of felt that what I had to do, knowing what I knew about things I've mentioned about Colin Campbell and the issue with finite resources, is perhaps have a more resilient, localised life career. So I kind of felt that doing something which is involved with local food production might be the way forward. And the rest is history, as they say. That was a good decision with hindsight, wasn't it? Well done, you. Well, well, yes. One of the other things I've started to, back in the days, keep chickens, because naturally with my carbon credits, I'm going to be given a ration of bugs. Not that actually keen on eating bugs. Things with insects, that they've evolved so they've got poisons and toxins in them. So eating them, can be quite poisonous but when i do get my ration of bugs i'm going to feed them to my chickens and then in turn eat the egg or eggs or the chicken right (laughs) the thing is my daughter's got a bit of a crush on the chickens i couldn't ring the chickens now you know i'd I'd, I'd be shamed so what did you do when you decided to keep bees like how did you start did you get a book did you watch some videos online like how did you know anything about how to keep bees no well I, <laughs> this is more of a broad question that 
I get asked, and which you'll probably get asked, is how generally do you speak uh, start beekeeping? I personally joined a beekeepers as local beekeepers association, uh. and they had a training apiary, and so I went to the training apiary and fully suited and booted with my protective clothing, and I could buy some bees off of the beekeepers association, and they had a beginner's apiary and, and I could train alongside someone more experienced. But just a little cautionary tale, really, that if someone is listening and thinking, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start bees, the biggest question you might want to think about is where you're going to stick them. Because most people say, oh, I'll stick them in my garden. Ah, they can be quite defensive. They can't, can be quite territorial. So if you're thinking of both using your garden as somewhere to you're in your shorts and t-shirts or whatever in the middle of summer you could be having some issues the bees might not want you to be in the garden <laughs> in addition to that bees tend to swarm so you might have both issues with your neighbors and how to retrieve your bees so there's um, perhaps lots of issues and you need to know how to manage them because potentially you could spend a small fortune on beekeeping equipment and not even get a jar of honey out of the expense. So if you are starting, first of all, where are you going to stick them? So go to a beekeepers association. And if you want to find your local beekeepers association and you live in Britain, um, go to the BBKA's website, British Beekeepers Association they will point you in the right direction as to what your local beekeepers association is. That's fascinating. I had no idea. Well, I assumed it was kind of some sort of thing like farming passed down from father to son, perhaps, or, you know, whatever, from father to daughter. I had no idea that there was such things where you could go. And it makes sense, doesn't it, when it's something that's so potentially hazardous. It made me giggle when you said about don't stick them in your garden because it might upset you if you wear shorts and T-shirts oh, yeah. and your neighbours. Funnily enough, I live in the countryside and I've noticed the bees that are kept here, the beehives, they are in like a middle of a deserted field oh. and well away from any of the houses and well away from the gardens and the swimming pools and anything else where people might want to hang out in the summer. And I always thought, oh, that's a bit of a long walk to go and fetch your honey. Now I know why. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for explaining it to me. That makes sense. Back in the day, these country skills would have just been passed down. It would be just part of the culture. But now, because most of us live in towns and cities and the such like, we seem to have lost our relationship with the countryside or with living off of the land. We're kind of pet humans, aren't we, really? We're sort of kept by either the supermarkets and what... I mean, certainly the globalists probably think we're equivalent to some sort of cattle of some description but uh, it's mainly because we've lost touch as to how to live on our own volition without the need perhaps of government or transport or things like that so um yeah what was all of the publicity regarding the bees are dying the bees are dying it even piqued my interest and at the time i wasn't very into the natural world I was busy doing other things, still playing too much sport probably and not paying proper attention to nature. But even this came into my realm through what I call now the fake news media, but at the time what I regarded to be quote unquote the news. So what happened with that? What was really going on? It all depends where you want to start really. If you're, if you're talking about the, say the 1990s, then there was this little mite called the Roa mite 
who which got I, I don't know jumped on a container ship and came into our country and infested the hives and colonies of bees died but the bees have sort of evolved and got adjusted to that so it's not not so much of a problem now those people who want to call themselves farmers you know those ones who ride around in high capital expensive equipments oh do you mean like jeremy clarkstein yeah <laughs> it's factory farming or, or television farming in the case of clarkstein <laughs> yeah but the thing is I don't know. It's got out of control. Where we, it's funny. Once you do things beyond a certain scale, whether it's farming or whether it's the financial system, it, it almost has this characteristic like pollution. So, what these? Oh, I was going to use some rude words for these bloody people. The thing is, let me start. Why honeybees? Because I have honeybees. According to the things, the Collins field guide of bees of Britain and Ireland. There's about 270 species of, of, of bees. Now, there is only one species of bee which has this characteristic, and it's called floral fidelity. It's Valentine's Day, so we're talking about fidelity, perhaps. Be my Now, what is floral fidelity? Well, the honeybee would go to the specific type of flower when it's out foraging, whereas the other bees... Say, so, oh, well, there's a sunflower here. Let's pop on to this daisy. Let's pop on to this sort of blob, you know, whereas the honeybee would stick to, oh, I'm going to this sunflower. I'm going to find another sunflower and then I'll go home to the hive. Because of floral fidelity, seed production is much more, the yields are much more better. So if you have honeybees service in your field of, oil seed rate, maybe that's not the greatest example, or sunflowers, if perhaps you live in France, or lavender if you live in France, then the yields of the seeds is going to be up to about 30% higher. And because of that, if you're a farmer, that's money. But there's something flipping or pigging or, or, or what, what, what other emphasize a word I could make is stupid about this. So they use their insecticides, and every time they, they've got this new insecticide, this one is always safer on the insects. Never proves out, out that way. So in one way, they're killing their pollinators, and at the same time, they want the pollinators. And in terms of something called externalities, it's the beekeeper who has to pick up the freaking costs. So the farmer makes extra yield because of the bees, and he's pox it in. And then early in the spring, he then wants to kill the beekeeper's bees with his sort of pollution. Can I out there, if you let any farmers listen... I know you're going to disagree with me about insecticides being safe, but can I just say, could you go and get a small thimble, fill it up with some of your insecticides and drink it for me, please? Go on. Go on. <laughs> it's obviously a safe. Go, go and drink some. Anyway. Well, it's not going to hurt a tiny bee, right? So therefore, it, how's it going to hurt a huge man, a great big farmer man? Yeah, I agree. Good for you. Go and drink some, you... In so <laughs> So the latest ones, which is the neonicotinoids, and oh yes, there were denials by the scientists. Hang on, haven't we heard that safe and effective? <laughs> mm. Yeah, obviously it's safe and bloody effective. That's the safe and effective that goes with suddenly and unexpectedly, that kind of safe and effective. 
Well, 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 it's funny you should say that in terms of suddenly the bees go visit a flower the next on, and then suddenly unexpectedly they have they can't remember stuff. Mind fog. I've heard some other intervention where you get mind fog. But anyway, they get mind fog and can't find their way back to their hives. And if you don't get all the bees coming back to your hives, then the colony collapses and they can't pollinate the farmer's field. Maybe it's the case that they go out enough so the pol- the farmer gets his share of the pollination and then they never come back so the beekeeper isn't very happy. So they've banned those and uh, I think they're reverting back to some other insecticides. But it's not just the bees, it's other insects. I mean, Chris Martinson from the Peak Prosperity podcast or um, website, he was sort of saying that back in his day, he would be traveling along you know, in his father's car. And the problem they would get on their journey throughout America was bugs on the windshield. And every so often you would have to stop and, and clean your windshield. We call them windscreens in Britain for some unknown reason. But you don't really experience that problem to the same extent nowadays. And it's because the insects which are down on the food chain have sort of disappeared. And hey, I think it's probably to do with modern farming methods. I mean, there's only a very small portion of the population which now works in farming. If you went back, say, 100, 150 years, most of the people that live in, say, in Britain would be in the countryside doing agriculture. And it's only because it's capital intensive now that we have to take shortcuts with insecticides and herbicides and machinery. And then then people say, well, if we did it another way, then there wouldn't be such yields. But I mean... In terms of the nutritional value of foods, it's diminishing because all the minerals is being extracted from the soil. So the soil now, instead of being something which is a fertile living thing, it's no more than the freaking sponge for various either fertilizers, synthetic fertilizers, or it holds on to the insecticides. If some of your American Listeners are starting to jump up and shout rude words at me. Can I refer them back to the sort of early 20th century, probably a bit before that? They would use for their cotton, the cotton weevil was a bit of a problem. So they used arsenic-based compounds on on, on their cotton crops. And um, also they used arsenic-based compounds to get rid of moths which might attack their fruit trees. So some of the places where they've had cotton on and they've used um, arsenic-based compounds, well, that that land has kind of got a bit toxic now and they can't really use it for too much either. But as a very long-standing grievance from the people of London in the 1920s, a family of Londoners had bought a bag of apples. The apples came from a dry state in America, which was sprayed by arsenic. Well, they ended up in hospital. So... Yeah, just a bone to pick with you Americans. Actually, should I stop there just in case you lose all your audience, Sarah? <laughs> oh, not at all. They're used to me. Don't worry. Don't worry. Okay. It's a free speech platform here, my friend. It's exactly what it's for. Yeah, I know. It's very unusual this day and age, isn't it? So I've done the farmers. I've done the Americans. <laughs> well, interestingly, the French don't seem to be quite so bad. When you were talking about the different species of bee, and in particular those that have fidelity, so they will only work with the same... Floral fidelity, they're they're faithful to their flower. Beautiful. Well, they do really well if they're into sunflowers here because 
I don't even know how to describe how many sunflower fields there are where I live. It's incredible. You just wouldn't believe it. as far as you can see. You can stand at the end of a field and just the photographs I've taken. Eventually, the camera can't cope with how far these sunflowers go on for. Absolutely beautiful things. And they're enormous. They're absolutely huge, humongous. Anyway, I think here there's a little bit more of an understanding of kind of, I don't know if it's called integrated farming. I'm not quite sure what it's called, but I would call it traditional farming, whereby some of them keep bees too. Because they're not saying, oh, I'm only a sunflower farmer, I just care about sunflowers, because they have other considerations. Perhaps they have some sheep in, the, in another field over there and they keep bees down at, not at the bottom of the garden, but at, at the bottom of the other field at the bottom of the garden. Um, I think they have like a better understanding of the interconnectedness of nature and how important those things are. Because around here, they do seem to have a bit more respect for each other and the different types of farming that goes on here. There's also an awful lot of real honey available, even in sort of local kind of, what would you call it, like corner shops, something like a 7-Eleven. Even in there, you'll get actually locally produced, fantastic, real, fresh honey, not this sort of squeezy bottle garbage that you get from the supermarkets. Even in like a mini supermarket, like a you'd call it a Tesco's local maybe in the UK or a Sainsbury's local or what, or a Tesco, is it Tesco's Extra? Whatever you call those things. The little tiny fake supermarkets that you have on a smaller street in a smaller area, even those places actually do stock local produce because there does seem to be an awful lot of it. That said, I mean, I'm not an expert in pesticides, but I think that there's quite a lot of pesticides that are banned in France that are used elsewhere in Europe and especially in America. France are very, very funny about what they will and won't use on their crops. And also there's an area here, I actually live in part of it, where they've refused to use the newer corn or the newer... There's some Monsanto well, seeds. Genetically modified, there's lots of... Uh, yeah. Yes. I'm particularly talking about flour. There's something funny about flour here because their bread is a big deal. If you're a baker, you're not allowed to go on holiday unless you've arranged for somewhere else to have bread for the week that you're away that's very, very close by. We're talking a very short walk. There's some kind of thing here. There's a big deal about bread in the morning and bread in the evening. And there's a whole group of towns, cities and villages that simply refuse to use any of the new flour. They will only have traditional French flour. Very, very interesting because those people who have wheat allergies and so on and so forth, that can often be as a result of GM, genetically modified crops. And there's an area of France here where even people who have wheat problems might actually be able to eat the bread and cakes and so on because the farmers here simply refuse to have anything to do with it. They keep their traditional stuff and they stuff the consequences. If it means they have a lower yield, they don't care. At least they don't make people sick. I wish I was more well-read on it, but that's about the limit of my knowledge, just that they say no to quite a lot of stuff here. Can I have a go at the cheese-eating slender monkeys, please? Oh, yeah. Oh, OK. Good, good, good. <laughs> of course. You, you, probably, you probably don't get any French listeners anyway, do you? I, I mean, after, uh, after, about after 3%. This, you probably won't get any <laughs> listeners at all, but, you know. <laughs> about 3%. About 3% are, oh, wow. Well, it says they're in France. They're probably in. I would suggest that given yeah. my French isn't great, it's, they're probably English. Yeah. <laughs> It's good to do these things and you think, oh, am I speaking to myself? Well, you could be after this podcast. The Agent Hornet, that came to Europe. Um, he sort of got off the container ship somewhere in France and, and went along the coastline. The thing is with the Asian Hornet, obviously it's not indigenous to Europe. I think it's indigenous to China and Japan and things like that. But it's kind of a bit like wasps, really. They will work their way through the insect population, particularly the honeybees and to a certain extent because they're predators 
the bees who are woven out and not go out of their hive. So then the colony of bees will starve. The thing is, the French, if they were on their freaking, well, they've got so many police departments and departments of this. They're so freaking bureaucratic. What they should have done when it landed, they should have done something the first couple of years, but it was a case of finger pointing as to who was responsible for getting rid of the Asian hornet. And then it just spread. And so we get the occasional sighting in the UK. And I don't think it's established yet, but it could be the same way as Varroa. It's just a matter of time. So I think the farms in France are much smaller and they have a different relationship to food. I want to just pop onto the relationship to food because I'm going to take a pop at my hometown. Do you remember that episode of Father Ted where he wins a prize and then he goes through just having a go at everyone? You know, I mean, this could be my opportunity to just do that if you've ever seen that Father Ted. But I used to go to the farmer's market to sell my honey and it's run by the town council. And one teach town council, if you're listening, you're a bunch of, anyway. And I think this is in 2019, 2018. And can you imagine, we've got a set of rules if you go to the farmer's market. It has to be produced within 20 miles of the market. And there's lots of other rules we have to get, various insurance and all this, jump through hoops, very bureaucratic. So the Wantage Town Council invited Lidl. So the farmer's market also had a Lidl stall in, or maybe it's called Lidl if you're German, but this is a cheap supermarket having a stall at the farmer's market. So me being, I mean, I don't think I've got any French blood in me, but I went knocking on the door of the local councillor, Councillor Dunford, and then we had the Wantage mayor out as well. And it was a case of, well, what's the problem? Then there's the farmer's market, but what's the problem with Little being at the farmer's market? And it was just this sort of, I know, cognitive dissidence in terms of, well, this local producer's doing it, but Little, no, they're the, what are they doing here? What, who invited them? This is the farmer's market. Oh, well, we, we can't really see what's the problem. Well, what, what, why have you got an issue with it? I think you're being quite aggressive about this. Don't you know? So the thing is, this whole idea of the relationship of food in this country, we like it cheerful, cheap and unhealthy. Over the last three years, I've been so disgusted with my fellow countrymen. It's like sort of some bad nightmare we're sort of living in where um, that B-movie, I think it's a B-movie, The Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where pe- people, they're, they're mar- I think this has gone back to 2016 more than anything, where it really went down, downhill. It's almost as if some alien entity has entered the bodies of these people and you've got these zombies or NPCs just walking around not being able to think. What happened with this, what do you call it, a super a supermarket having yeah. a stall at a yeah. farmer's market? What yeah. happened about what happened? Well, I well, want to hear about this. The thing is, they will pin their planning application. <laughs> They've managed to get planning permission, but it's really against the local plan because the local plan says, oh, no, you need to have these sort of things in central areas. Like, what happens? Well, I went round to all my fellow stallholders and said, we should do something collectively because I am Spartacus, okay? So I wrote a letter to the town council and I was promised, I'm doing a Father Ted bit here, I was promised by all those fellow 
stallholders because it's in their interest too that they would write in and they would complain and they would do anything. And when I phones them the next couple of days, well, they're busy or really this hadn't anything to do with me. And no, I can't really, I don't want to rock the bloke. So the problem then became, it was a me problem. Well, the other stallholders weren't complaining. I've got a problem. <laughs> so you remember the film Spartacus where I forget who stood up and said, I am Spartacus because they were going to, they wanted the Romans wanted to kill Spartacus, come full circle with the Roman theme. And the others stood up and said, no, I am Spartacus. Or all of these, well, this was the reverse thing where I stood up, oh, I am Spartacus. And okay, well, we're going to, we're going to hang you now. We're going to execute you. So this whole concept of solidarity in this country, this whole notion that we should relocalize, that we should value perhaps handmade things or locally produced or crafted food or that, it's a nonsense because at the heart of it, we've got something inherently wrong with our culture. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the use of, I don't know, smartphones, but people are just... I don't know, lazy, selfish, and vain. And it will be their undoing. It will be their undoing. Because these selfish, lazy, and vain people were quite happy to queue up and get their little safe and effective interventions. I dread to think what's happening to some people, but I'm just horrified in one respect. But in, in some ways, things are coming out in the wash because... I seems to be getting more and more opportunities laid in front of me now, mainly because other people, perhaps who are more talented, more better, more articulate, seem to have gone missing in action. Where have we gone? Interesting. I actually think it's prior to smartphones that the vain, lazy and selfishness really took hold. I think it's much, much earlier than that because I'm old enough to remember that the land before time, the time before we had smartphones, and even the time before we had affordable mobile phones, what's now termed a dumb phone. I'm the proud owner of two dumb phones. Oh, okay. It's not smart to have a smartphone. It's smart to have a dumb phone, just saying. But anyway, I think this selfishness and this lack of actually wanting to stand up for what's right has happened a lot longer ago. Many things that have happened in my own life have indicated that to me, where you stand up for something because it's right and everyone says, oh, good on you, yeah, good... Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And then when it comes down to it, they've all disappeared and it's just you on your own. That's happened to me so, so many times because mm. people lack integrity and courage. But I think it's, I'm not going to say that I know exactly when it happened, but I do think it's older than a smartphone. Is it because we pretend that it's right and decent to be liberal and liberal minded and socialist and kind, but in actual fact, we're not really. We're more out for ourselves. We're more selfish than that, but we don't want to admit to it. It's kind of like instead of being an actual socialist or somebody who does care about the social good, they're actually more interested in the virtue signaling side of things. They want to be seen to be socially minded, but actually don't behave that way at all. Is it something to do with that? I don't know. I'm always thinking about the miners' strike where the miners were broken. I think it was sort of 1984, 1985. And a different worlds has begun because I think Margaret Thatcher said there's no such thing as society, only individuals and their family. And maybe thereafter we had the whole concept of yuppies and greed is good and things like that. And we became more materialistic and perhaps the whole notion of we could run a, a, a service economy based on buying more and more expensive houses from each other. <laughs> maybe that had 
something to do with it. Maybe it's immigration. Maybe we don't feel that we're one country with a common culture, common history. I don't know. But we seem to be filled with a country of very unserious people. A few prime ministers ago, we seem to have elected a clown <laughs> to run things. And Boris. We are, as this country, we're on the precipice now. You know, I don't know where we're going to get our hydrocarbons from in the future in terms of the Russians are just going to grind on and on and on through Ukraine. We've now realized that we're a country who can't even defend itself. We're probably a country where people can't actually afford to heat their house or pay for the electricity. We're in a country where inflation is rampant and we can't really tell a coherent story about the predicament we're in. So... It's yeah. been a terrible run, hasn't it? We've had Boris the Clown, then we had Thick Lizzie, and now we've got Wishy Washy. It's like a bad sitcom, isn't it? Or some sort of British farce. I mean, previous to that, we had oh, so many prime ministers now. We, we used to learn them in history. But I, mean, I don't know whether people would want to learn these people. They're so freaking irrelevant. But the one before Boris, who sort of wanted to screw us over over Brexit. The Maybot. Yes, Maybot. Theresa May, the Maybot. And then the Cameron. I do remember the his pig's head. <laughs> I do remember Cameron because I used to live in the neighbouring village to him. I never met him, but the village of Peasmore were very proud that they had David Cameron as their prime minister. Was that before the pig problem? And funny story. The village I I live here. Can I just preface what I'm going to say is I kind of come into the realization that. My life, I've been dropped into this either Animal Crossing or maybe it's Grand Theft Auto or maybe it's Minecraft, okay? And so what you're hearing from me today is just an avatar, okay? And there's some sort of controller wanting to muck around with me for shits and giggles. But anyway, we lived in the village of Beedon, B-E-E-D-O-N, yes. You've heard it, it's B. I grew up in Beedon, I'm a beekeeper. Yeah, you Valentine's Day, yeah, okay. The neighbouring village was David's Cameron lived in the village of Peasmore. He, he lived there. And we decided, me, me and my wife, that we would get married in Peasmore Church instead of Beedon Church. And the person who, I forget, who, he was the bell ringer. We, we, we had to organise. But the bell ringer had a big farm in Peasmore. So in terms of that story, his accessibility to pigs was relatively easy because there was a pig farm in Peasmore. In fact, there's one not so far down from there now which do the Berkshire breeds of pigs. So, I don't know. I mean, to be honest with you, if you start doing that with animals, there's going to be some weird zoonautical diseases you're going to pick up. And you go to a and and then you ask, well, it's very sore down there. I mean, what are you going to say? It's, it's like those people go to a and with the, either the hooper attachments stuck up their backside or the blue brush. I mean, it's how to explain these things away, isn't it? You know? So yeah, I think that story about Cameron probably has some plausibility, but if people Google in Peasmore underground bases, there's another story about Peasmore where it's to do with aliens and underground bases and someone claiming and that there's some under... So I mean, Cameron could be some sort of alien hybrid, but... I mean, I don't think some of these politicians are of this world anyway. And on so many levels, I have to agree with you. 
they don't, they don't answer to us. They don't answer to us. So I've got an email from my MP, David Johnson MP, of what wanted. I'm having a really good pop at people today. So this is quite cathartic for me. So, so thank you for this. So I got an email from David Johnson, MP from Montage, and he wrote to me because I was concerned about identity passes and the vaccination, if you can really call it a vaccine. And he said, no way, absolutely no way is the vaccine experimental. I've got it right. Maybe I can stick that up somewhere. Oh, keep, make sure you laminate that one. Print and laminate. I mean, maybe I could crowdfund it when election day comes. I could put on a freaking hoarding. but. Maybe there wouldn't be that many voters around to vote for him anyway, you know. I mean, yeah. That's so naive, isn't it? Imagine at this stage of the game sending out something like that from your email address. This was 2021 because Even so. they, they thought, oh, well, yeah, we're on the verge of closing the deal now. We just vax past people and then they'll have to get jabbed or starve in their homes. I wonder how many vaccine studies this MP has ever even bothered to read. I bet it's less than me. You know, we get thrown back because I've been telling people when's the marches. The London ones. L- the London ones, yeah. Oh, if people are worried about street crime if in London, okay, because the story is it's those black teenagers with knives who are doing all the street crime. No, that's why. No, 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 no. The Met Police, okay, if you want to clear up street crime in London, get rid of the Met Police, because the, it's the only time, I mean, this is first-hand material witness of me, the only crime I've ever seen in London is by the Met Police. So just a tip for policing, to be honest with you. But there was no telling people when they were joining either the queues or speaking to them that, look, this is experimental. People like uh, Dolores Carhill, people like... Professor Bakhti was sort of saying this is going to be a disaster because well, when, when, I mean Dolores Kyle was sort of saying well, well when back in the day they were testing it on ferrets they all died um, yeah there's still not a vaccine for SARS-CoV-1 no they were trying for 17 years or something mental and they couldn't find one that didn't kill all of the animals in the experiment and that's yeah. why crazy conspiracy theorists like myself were going mental in early 2020 saying uh, no a vaccine, whatever this allegedly is, a vaccine will not be the solution because we didn't even manage to get one for SARS-CoV-1. And if you're calling this SARS-CoV-2, there's a reason for that. They are in some way similar. So why would a vaccine be the answer when they've tried mm-hmm. and failed for 17 years? All of the monkeys died, all of the ferrets died. Sick of it. Like It was a ridiculous notion from the very, very beginning. I want to take you back, though, because I'm curious. You mentioned in the 1990s the legit problems we had with the bee population dying, but something else happened more recently. There were lots of complaints, again, a big hoo-ha about the bees dying. The bees are dropping out of the sky. What happened? What was that about? What was the more recent one one doing? I've heard stories, but I haven't experienced it myself, about lampposts. It's funny, where I've been living... They've swapped out all the lampposts for LED lampposts for unknown reasons. Obviously, the council have got more money than sense. <laughs> but there was some story about maybe it's the LED. Maybe there's something even sinister with those lampposts. Really are lampposts and not 5G. You would have all the insects sort of dying underneath it for some unknown reason. But from my own experience, I can't verify that at all. So is this the sort of thing that Mark Steele talks about, the YI yeah. guy? Right, uh, interesting. Yeah, oh, he, yeah, t- he, t- 
the YI man, the guy who talks about the lamppost and the LED and the dodgy. Yeah, interesting. So I'm talking like the mainstream media was putting out articles about colonies of bees dying. Was that one of the same time as the allegation was it was perhaps these new lampposts? And if so, why have they allowed that? Why did they let that out there? I don't know. I mean, certainly from my experience, I've seen nothing untowards happening about the lampposts. But but are there any of those in your area anyway where your bees are? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, 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 okay. we're, the town of Wantage is now covered with LED lampposts. Whether it saves that much electricity, I have no <laughs> no idea. So I can't answer that, sorry. That's all right, but your bees are okay. So yeah, are okay. Talk us through like a year. Talk us through your year cycle with your bees. What happens and when? Okay, let's start in the winter solstice. Nothing much happens. They're in their hive, keeping warm. They are consuming their stores of honey or if I need to feed them, they're just keeping warm. As the light levels expand, the days get longer, the queen slowly ramps up, lay in. The bees on the warm days may go out and go on a cleansing flight to have a poo or something or other. And then as we get past February into the spring months, flowers start to come out, it gets warmer, the queen starts laying, the colony gets bigger. And as as we then sort of go into April, I'm kind of now thinking, okay, I might need to make sure that the hives which the bees are in are of appropriate size. I might need to think about putting honey boxes, also called supers, on them. And so it ramps up. So you get to April and, and then you have to be aware that the colony might get so big that it may want to swarm. So I might need to take measures. Often I get phone calls saying, oh, we've got a swarm of bees, can you help? And then as we go into May, we're... The fields, you know, like oilseed rape and, and blossoms on trees are out. So I, I'm sort of putting honey boxes on. Also, I'll be, I'll be thinking, well, do I want to expand the number of colonies? Do I want to do splits and create some more colonies of bees? And then when the summer solstice hit, I kind of conclude, okay, I'm not going to take any more um, honey off. And then we've got the sort of the dog days of summer or whatever the period is between the solstice and the 1st of August. And then, like clockwork on the 1st of August, the wasps come out, and it, with vengeance, I'll be putting wasp traps on. In a strange way, sometimes just keep an eye on the bees have got plenty of food, I haven't taken too much off. And, and then as the autumn comes, then I'm trying to make sure that the colonies of bees are winter tight and, and stay that they would survive the winter, and if not, I might need to unify them with other colonies. And, and then it drifts back in, into the slow days of winter. And how much room does a colony need? Like, how much space does this take? Well, we have a standard-sized box, right. which is called the brood box, where the queen and the broods are housed. And sometimes if you have a, a colony which is quite prolific and wants to expand a lot you might want to put a second brood box on top but if you're more focused on producing honey you might want to produce or add honey boxes but it's like a concertina effect as you the closer you get to the summer solstice perhaps the more you want to put on i mean naturally you, you need to be aware of what's happening in the fields surrounding you because if perhaps during the june and july 
the farmer has got some flowering crop, then perhaps you want to continue expanding. But but where I come from, it, it more often than not is the main crop is oilseed rape. So you sort of concertina it down. So if perhaps you're looking perhaps after the 21st of June that there isn't anything going, then perhaps you're thinking in our world, okay, should I be taking supers off? Should I be shrinking the colony? So it's like a big concertina in sort of way, trying to, because the bigger the hive is, it's more mass for the bees to keep warm during the winter months. So you, you kind of want to keep things as compacted as you want, but also being mindful that you need to ensure that they have sufficient food to get through the next season. You mentioned the swarm. Talk us through, why do they do that? What is the purpose of a major bee swarm? What, what's going well, on there? It's the case of why do people have sex? Um, <laughs> We're back to Valentine's. Did you see how I did that? It was great, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, oh, yeah, you'll like this story. You'll like this story. Okay. If the box which they're in is a bit confined, then the worker bees will start building out a particular cell to create into a queen cell and then provides more royal jelly to that particular cell with an egg in to produce a queen. I mean, you could have multiple queen cells in and in the queen cell is a virgin queen. And as soon as one of those virgin queens emerges from the cells, they're sort of a pencil-sized waxy thing, this size probably no more than two or three centimetres. And then the queen, the virgin queen emerges. Now, as soon as she emerges... And they push out the old queen. Uh, and the old queen exits the hive and a significant proportion of the bees follow her. And th- then you've got a swarm and, and they're off looking for a new home. Um, then you've got in the hive lots of virgin queens. Well, that's probably the principle for starting new colonies off. But what the virgin queens will do, they, they need to get mated. Otherwise, they won't be able to create a new colony and, and lay eggs and what whatnot. So they go out to be mated. They get mated by the male bees called drones (laughs) and the virgin queen would be flying around and finding congregation places where the drone bees are and the drone bee will then mate with the queen. And you might have to upgrade this podcast to explicit, okay? So the drone with the drone penis or phalanx or whatever mates with the bee and then once he's done his business... He then tries to fly off. Unfortunately, his penis is now stuck into the Virgin Queen. So his penis breaks off and then he dies and bleeds to death. But the Queen gets mated by numerous amounts of drones. I mean, maybe 20, 30, 40, I don't know. And, and she keeps all the sperm in a in gland called the spermatheca in her, in her abdomen. So this is why, I mean... People listening to me sort of say, oh, well, I'm going to get bees, stick them in my garden. Because I, I, I get bees which are calm bees. They're, they're not aggressive bees. Oh, okay, well, you don't, you don't know who they, how many or what they've been mated by because she could have the sperm of some arsey bees, which later on in the summer when you're out in your shorts and T-shirt, start trying to get you out of the garden. But, um, yeah, so... That is then the sex life of a bee and the, and the queen bee returns back to the colony and lays eggs and all is well. What's the life expectancy of a bee? It does vary. If you're born as a worker bee during the warmer months, it could be 30 days. If you're born during the autumn, 
you tend to get more fat. So it could be the whole of the winter months. If you're a queen bee, it could be up to three years. I mean, you, you once you stop being a prolific layer, you could get chucked out sooner. If you're a drone, it depends because in, in autumn, the colony be chucking the drones out of the hive to fend for themselves and probably die. So maybe it's not so good being a drone. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was giggling before. I, I'm sure there's plenty of women who can empathise with being harassed by a bunch of drones looking to get laid. Yes, I did snigger, I have to say. It was very funny. Well, if those ladies listen, somehow you, you would have to do some extraordinarily pelvic floor exercises ju- ju- just to clamp tight on it. And then I suppose the man being in shock would probably want to go away. And then perhaps you could replicate that that scenario, which I told you about the bees. But I, 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 this is going to take a lot of prep and exercise and work, I would imagine. Yes, considerable. Sure. Tell me about honey. Tell me more about the honey. Like, what does one hive produce? And tell us about the benefits of honey. It depends. Not all hives are made equal. But if it's a new colony, which perhaps I've created from a split of the hive, then perhaps on the first year won't get anything. And, and then perhaps the second year will. But it depends. I mean, each one of those honey boxes can contain about 30 pounds of honey. Some hives I could have four, five, six honey boxes on it. I, I mean... I, I've kind of calculated, uh, the, the thing is you run cloth accordingly, so I don't have a huge amount of hives because I wouldn't, would have more honey than I can shake a stick at. But for me, I mean, half a tonne of honey to a tonne of honey isn't unusual. Wow. And how many boxes do you typically, how many bee boxes do you typically have any given year? In terms of heart, if, in terms of colonies, um, yeah. I mean, currently I've got about 16 Wow, that's amazing. Extraordinary. And there's all kinds of seriously impressive health benefits to taking honey, aren't there? Could you lay out some of those for us, please? I know people get very excited with Manuka honey, and that's very expensive. Manuka, by the way, is a plant in New Zealand, and it was back in the day a weed, or considered the weed. And and, and then someone analysed it, and, and it had certain properties which all honey does but it seems to be more exaggerated also in new zealand they've got a poisonous plant so they have to test all their honey and also another fun fact about manuka there's more sold than actually produced so so obviously some people are a bit having a bit of a laugh as to what they're calling manuka <laughs> but um honey is anti-bacterial anti-fungal anti-viral it has in medicine, I mean, but if you speak to in terms or consult country law, that they would put honey on wounds to stop infections to our wounds. And, and so hospitals actually, with what well, they call it sterilized honey, whatever that is, which they apply to wounds to help them, them heal. So it's got some health properties like that. And, and also it contains minerals, also contains pollen. People who've got hay fever claim it helps them and, and the theory is that most hay fever sufferers suffer from a reaction to grass pollen and so by consuming something which contains flower pollen they desensitize themselves i can't confirm or deny but my some of my customers say that 
Also, it? it's not, not just honey. It's not just honey, but because people have used beeswax. Obviously, the thing we obviously think of is candles, but it does have some. It seems to be nature's sealant. So, if you make creams or balms with them, a lot of people with eczema tend to benefit from a, a beeswax to base product. There, there's also people consume bee pollen. They consider that to have some health benefits. Some people call have royal jelly, very expensive. In Chinese medicine, they even use bee venom. There's some suspicion that it could have some beneficial effects on people with arthritis. The whole thing with with bees is very sort of conducive to health. Yeah, and it, it's famously goes into a it's an an important component of a good old hot toddy when you're feeling rough in the winter, isn't it? Something for your yes. throat for a head cold as we used to call it before 2020. Do you remember in the days we used to have colds in the wintertime? <laughs> well, we didn't use to test ourselves. I'm testing the loosest possible sense. Yeah, yeah. What, what, yeah. But yeah, we, we didn't go around testing ourselves or sticking things. Uh, I, I mean, it must be the only only time where oh, we'll stick things up your nose. It's good for you. We need to know. Stick things. But, but surely with, with things like that, people then oh, don't use cotton bugs. Oh, don't, don't stick thing, things up your nose. The only thing you should stick in your ear is your elbow. And then we're going bloody crazy. So, oh, I, I'm not going to touch the thing unless they're, I don't know, maybe they were part, gathering DNA of people. I, I, I don't know. But it just didn't make any freaking sense. Well, we sort of know that they were gathering DNA because Julia Heaving Bosom, it's called Talk TV now. It okay. used to be Talk Radio, I think they used to call it. But um, you know the program I'm talking about, the fat slug oh, yeah. comes on after and Mike Graham. So Julia Heaving Bosom, she went mental on air because she found out that her daughter's swab had been one of the ones that had been sold to some sort of biotech company. So they literally, even somebody as mainstream as JHB was going nuts about her daughter's data having been sold without her permission, thanks to some sort of dodgy PCR test. So, yeah, that was another conspiracy theory that came true during the scamdemic. The thing I can't understand is um, during the uh, 2020, 21, there were some pundits which you were th- I was sort of thinking, they're, they're nearly there. They're nearly there. Like, like, okay. uh, like Peter Hitchens. Just, oh, yeah, he's, he's got it. He knows. And, and then you hear Peter Hitchens got the jab or... Uh-huh. Uh, and these other other characters where you think, oh, well, yeah, they're nearly there, and then and, and they do something stupid, um, and things like, oh, well, there's no way we could have known. The the th- thing is, in in, in 2020, I I would I was like, oh, well, look, I mean, if this is a pandemic, I'm not seeing the bodies. To to, to be honest with you, I'm not 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 seeing. I, I, I mean, I I I would be sort of thinking, oh shit, there's another body out there. I'm going to have to call someone to get get rid of the body of this pandemic. Well, no, I didn't didn't see any of that. I and then I came out with the neighbours and so I said, well, what's what's happening? No, 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 we're not ill. We're and seen any bodies? No, no. Did anyone know what's happening in the hospitals? No, don't 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 know. And it was a case of. Um, I, I'm connected to the the internet. Um, I think you're connected to the internet, and I think lots of other people are connected to the internet. And also, there's things like there's things like Google as search engines, and then there's other things like pre-search and, and what whatnot. And 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 surely people, you know, you know when you sort of get a gut instinct, a suspicion that 
let, let, let's just keep searching for things on the internet because this this doesn't add up and and eventually you you find something which goes against the 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 narrative and then, and then you home, home in and then perhaps you know if you're you're wise you, you might start want to listen to people with you know alternative views you know in and and so anyone who sort of says oh well i didn't know about it you, you know I mean, even the NHS little booklet you got for the jab, the first one still says, well, there's no, there's no evidence that it stops transmission or infection. That would presumably have previously been the point of any kind of vaccine, would it not? Yeah, indeed. Oh, this is the, the premise for its very existence. There's no? something in law. There's something in law called due diligence. Mm. I, I, we're all grown-ups, and for us to make... Um, informed and can say oh yeah well you, i mean naturally you can blame the other person for trying to swindle you but you you surely you should do your own due diligence on I mean, maybe of these three categories of lazy selfish and vain maybe it's the lazy part people are getting and, and, and then 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 people are sort of saying that well we we didn't know we 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 were true well come on you you know I, i'm nobody special I'm, I'm just someone who's connected to the internet you know and um, I, th- I think there's an element of, um, I, I don't know, there's, there's an element of cowardice um, about all, all of this because we we were faced, like perhaps many of you listening to this podcast, that I, I wasn't going to get this safe and effective um, uh, intervention. And then there was some sort of um, suggestion Perhaps our politicians were. We might have to go around to people's houses. Uh, and if you looked at the, you went past the newsstand that you know we, we we should be forcibly. So I I personally was expecting the day to come that there be a knock at the door uh, and those uh, the, the, those ni- nice people who uphold the law um, called police officers would would be battering me down, battering the door down, probably dragging him in my van, force. Force vaccinating me, putting in these, putting them in one of those prisons, which they they just so happens were building, but prior to uh, the, the 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 pandemic, so it, it was a case of mentally sort of thing. Well, I, I'm not going to uh, relent on this. I've made a decision, and and if it's gonna, you know, if this is gonna be, you know, the the end of me, well, well, we'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll so be it. You know, it's a case of. You know, I wish I could have made more of an indent on the world, world but I, I'm, I'm not going to move on this one. And yeah, so, you, you, good you kind you. Of well, you made the right choice because the insurance companies have decided that if you're going to shoot yourself up with state-sanctioned injectables, they've literally classed that as suicide. So, if you happen to die post a shot, this particular shot, the COVID nineteen eighty four shot, so called by me, the insurance companies are actually classing that in the United States as suicide. Like you've taken some experiment, in their words, you have taken some experimental medicine and you died. That's your fault, not ours. We're not paying out. How has this missed, you know, Julia heaving bosom? <laughs> How has Mike Fatsler Graham not mentioned this? Why isn't this absolutely everywhere? It's completely disgraceful. It's a, it's a fit up and people are literally that stupid. They Wait. can't check these things for themselves. I mean, an insurance company is a really clever, a smart place to go and check out things like data because of the, they would have all of that information, wouldn't they? Then, because the money is involved very, very clearly with regard to life insurance and all of the rest of it. So, when I read that the insurance company are literally classing it as suicide, I have to say it's not very nice of me, but I did laugh. 
Shaden Floyd, for the the dark friend. And what I mean, we're we're at this stage now where the people have also taken it, even if they've got away with not having something unexpectedly and whatever happening to them, that that they they might be sterile. Um, so that kind of begs the 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 question that how are we going to rebuild our society? Um, how are the because we we we, we well, I, mean, I think we might need to be a bit serious. That look, we 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 we. Well, I say we. I'm speaking actually in in the general sense. I'm not actually speaking this directly to you. But uh, you know, how how are we going to have babies um how are the um unvaccinated uh, unvaccinated vaccinated going to meet up with other vaccinated and, and get married and, and have babies because um you know if, if we don't do do that then the rest of us left behind will just get older and older and sort of die and there'll be no one left to bury us for a start you know what my answer is going to be? My answer is education. We educate our young people in the importance of not sticking dangerous toxins and poisons into your body and educate them on the importance that sticking stuff into your body can have on things like fertility. And we're, we're right back where we started no. with, with the birds and the bees. Yeah. But no, you're, you're spot on. Stephen, listen, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a, a real education listening to the... I had no idea. My husband said something about some bees only, only live for 30 days. I, I was like, really? I said, I'll have to ask about that because I didn't know. So thank you very much. It's been a real education listening to you this afternoon. Please, can you tell the listeners where they can find you? Okay. Maybe there'll be people wanting honey and... Yeah, let us know how okay. we can how we can get hold of you, please. Can I promote my website? It's behaveyourself.co.uk. I don't. I really. I hate social media. And, and maybe as another point, can, can we stop using it? Can we just all? Can we all just all? If you want something, say get your own website, and we can link to each other with RSS feeds or something. Stop using social media. What's the matter with you people? Because even if I posted anything on social media. Well, there's no guarantee you'll you'll get to hear of it. Yeah, I think they're well drilled on that one with what's happened to my uh, Twitter account, which has been sort of dead for quite some time. You're, you're spot on. I'll make sure there's a link in the description to uh, you. catch you there to your website. And do stay on the line because I might need to buy some honey. That's Ooh. your lot for this week. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This was your Valentine special with Stephen Herbert from BeehiveYourself.co.uk. I certainly hope you are going to beehive yourselves this weekend. Take back your individual sovereignty and that of your family. Visit sarahplumley.substack.com and subscribe for free to stay up to speed with all things education, not indoctrination. 